softly we'll go ahead with these prayer requests we just want to remember brother Danny uh, Daniels here I'm sorry I'm 
think I'm misreading that. Um, but our brother Daniel, who has COVID, we just want to remember them. And uh, nephew of, okay, he's the nephew of the Munches. So we just want to remember them in prayer. Also, we just want to uh, remember our brother Peter, who is at work this evening. Also, the Whitlocks are away at work as well. So we just want to remember them. And we just uh, want to continue to remember Sister Rachel Pritchard, who is uh, still away uh, with uh, her tooth. So we just want to remember her in prayer. Also, um, we just want to remember uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie Hughes. They have a request here this evening. And uh, just uh, any unspoken prayer requests, you're lifting your hands. I know we all have them. So if I could just have Brother Aaron come and uh, pray over these requests and just uh, change the order of the service. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord Jesus. We bring all our hearts, O oh God, believing, O oh God, what you said in your word. We know, Father, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Father, upon the basis of your word and, and the promise that you gave us, Lord Jesus Christ, we lay hands on, on these requests and these needs. Father, knowing that, O oh God, you are able to back up your word. And Father, you are a king who abides by your word. And Lord Jesus Christ, we know, Father, that, oh God, there is no promise that you gave that will ever go to the ground. For you say there is the rain that comes from heaven and comes back fulfilling and giving bread to the farmer. So is the word that proceeded out of your mouth. Lord Jesus Christ, we are sending forth the word tonight. For the Bible says that you sent forth your word and it healed them. Oh God, we know that you are a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Oh God, we are appealing, oh God. We curse, Father, d diseases, various ailments, oh God, that are, are hurting your people. We commit them into your hands. We commit the, the singing of the songs and the service tonight into your hands. May you be with the minister and may the Holy Ghost come and have the preeminence among his people. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. seats. Let's just put it in C. Jesus, oh Jesus, Jesus, there's just something
quick announcement, and we'll sing that again before Brother Barry comes. I forgot to mention this earlier, but uh, just remember this Sunday at 3.30, the older youth will be meeting. Okay, So let's just sing that again as Brother Barry comes this evening. And all is well. take your seats here tonight. Thank you. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer in just for a moment here. But let me give you some announcements here tonight and some things that uh, we want to just share with you. Sister Karen, it's nice to see you again. God bless you. And uh, we've been praying for you. And uh, may the Lord bless you. We um, want to remember a couple of special requests tonight held on to these uh, just to share them with you. Uh, Tomorrow, Brother Chris and Keisha and Jeremy and Julia will be leaving for Utah for the funeral of Brother Roger. And uh, they'll be going out there for a few days with a couple of, uh, for a couple of days meeting with the family, having a memorial out there. So we send our prayers with you all and may God bless you and uh, give you a wonderful time of fellowship there, uh, and just may it be a blessing and a tribute to Brother Roger and your family. Uh, Brother Mike Wald's brother, Ralph, has had some heart issues. Uh, apparently, they have been struck pretty hard with the virus, and it wound up putting Brother Ralph in hospital. He was in ICU, and uh, they sent out a request and asked us to remember Brother Mike Wald's brother, Ralph. Uh, on Sunday, we had Brother Reuben Tamblingson here. He was sitting over here, and I mentioned him in the service. 
Uh, some of you know uh, Brother Reuben and the Tamblingson family. Uh, we had known, we've known them for years and years and years. And uh, recently I ran in, into them out in Flagstaff, Arizona. And uh, just very fine folks. Monday night I talked with Brother Reuben because he got a call uh, and they had discovered uh, major cancer in his mother. And uh, I talk with him again. I've talked with him every day since uh, since Sunday. And uh, they are uh, now, I mean, this is kind of one of those shocks where they're reeling from it. Uh, she's probably a couple of years, maybe a year or two younger than Sister Becky. Uh, I would That'd be my guess, somewhere around there. And uh, she has... Uh, what they think is inoperable brain cancer on both sides of her brain, spinal column, liver, lungs, uh, I mean, just major issues. And at, at the last that I heard, they were not going to treat her. She's in a hospital ward where they can't visit her. They had to go outside the hospital and wave to her outside through the window. And uh, it's just been a horrible shock for Brother Glenn, that's her husband, and the rest of the family. And uh, so if you don't mind, I told Reuben that we would remember this tonight in prayer. You've, most of you brothers will remember Jordan Peterson from Arizona, from Tucson. And Jordan is the son-in-law of Sister Lori. Uh, Martha, his wife, is uh, obviously a Tamling son. And, and so we know the family through many different, uh, many different ways. So I'm, I'm going to ask you if you would uh, just remember them in prayer, especially. Uh, and then one other uh, situation. <laughs> uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but um, there are some situations that certainly do need prayer. Uh, some of you will remember the name Brother Vin Dial from Trinidad, who is a minister uh, there. He was under investigation recently for financial issues. They didn't, not that there was any wrongdoing, but he was under investigation therefore an unusual circumstance uh, for sure. Uh, shortly after he went to court, and this is like in the last 30 days, probably 30, 35 days, his wife died of COVID. And then two weeks later, his daughter went to the hospital to give birth to a child. She died in delivery and the baby died after that. After all of that, he suffered a stroke. And you talk about a, a situation turned completely upside down. So I heard the, the uh, issues, and I, I let the folks know that we would certainly remember Brother Ben in prayer. He's uh, known to a lot of people, been around a long time as a church and ministry in uh, Trinidad. And, uh, you know, I, I just you can't really begin to think how, how, do you, how do you feel. I mean, how do you, you, know, how do you respond to situations like these but that's the times we live in and that's the devil who fights against us but uh we're just going to pray and just place these needs before the lord so if you don't mind we'll stand and i'll have you just uh, stand for a moment and we'll just look to him in prayer this evening as we bow our heads together hold your need there and believe that God does hear it and 
he's attuned to your prayer as much as he is to somebody in Trinidad or somebody in Arizona. God is not hindered by distance or space. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, because we do believe that you hear us when we pray. We believe, Lord, that your words are true today, the same as when they were spoken by Peter, that we should cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And, Lord, we, we are reminded, Lord, that there are people in desperate situations, in situations that they find themselves in of no, uh, no doing of their own. But, Lord, they find themselves in, a, in an hour of great need. And so as the members of the body of Christ, we join our hearts together and we stand, Lord, in faith, believing that you are still the same yesterday, the same as you ever were. And, Lord, we believe you're a healer tonight. And, Father, I just commit these needs especially into your hands, Lord, and ask that you would be gracious and move on the scene. And, Lord, just, just show yourself, Lord, as that great physician, that great healer that comes by and sometimes the most unusual of times. But, Lord, we, we have confidence in you and we trust you. And you taught us, Lord, not to try to figure everything out, but just only believe that all things are possible. And so we do that tonight as an assembly. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would bless this assembly. And, Father, just have your way. We know you to be a healer, not only of physical issues, Lord, and mental issues, but we believe also, Lord, you're one who is very sensitive to the spiritual issues that exist among your people and the warfare that we fight. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would just take this service under, under your control. And, Lord, may I just uh, reserve myself, Lord, to you tonight. And I, I just ask that you would just take my faculties and use them, Lord, as a microphone that you might speak uh, to the hearts of your people. We love you and we thank you and invite you now to minister to our hearts. We give you the balance of our service. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. While you're standing, take your Bible, if you don't mind, and I'd like to read just a, a little passage, but I'm going to ask you to hold your Bible here, and then we'll, we'll finish the reading. In the book of Esther, we're going to begin reading in chapter 1. We're only going to look at chapter 1 here. This is very familiar, but I read it tonight in a new, uh, a new, um, from a new perspective, and so I just wanted to share some of these thoughts that are on my heart today. Verse 12, Esther 1.12. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. And therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. And then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was these other brothers who were there, the seven princes of Persia and Media, Media, uh, which saw the king's face and which sat on first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she has not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. So the king didn't react in judgment. He reacted with discretion. He, he asked the wise men. He said, what should we do in this situation? He wanted their opinion. Now, if you don't mind, I'm just going to skip down to verse 19. And it says, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment. This was the response of the wise men. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Give it to a better woman. Don't leave it with the fallen woman. 
Give it to the better woman. May God add his blessing. Every man loves the better woman. Uh, Lincolnton, my remote is plugged in on my desk there. If you will, grab it for me, please, if you don't mind. Let me show you some good news. This is good news. Brother Anmar passed his test today for citizenship. He went through all of his requirements, his written test, and his oral appointment, and has now completed everything. What he's waiting for now is his letter for the swearing ceremony. And I told him, you let me know when that ceremony is. If I can, I'm going to transport everybody in the church up to New York. And we're going to go to Queens and we're going to uh, come in and then go to his house afterwards and have lunch. Good Indian food. He was so proud. He is so delighted. He was very thankful for all that we had done. And, uh, you know, it's just a real milestone for Brother Anwar. What a story. What a great story. I mean, it would make, make a great book, uh, you know, to... Uh, when you think about uh, all that's gone on in his life. The only man I know that has a personal letter from the Taliban that uh, promised his execution, and uh, he's still alive. And, uh, I mean, they hand-delivered it to his door, and uh, he's still alive. We're thankful for that. So um, we, we're just happy with Brother Anwar, and he listens faithfully and uh, stays very much in tune with what happens here. So uh, we send our congratulations to him, and I... Uh, spoke with him today, and uh, he'll let us know when that date is. All right, I want to do this uh, this evening here because um, this is um, uh, this is something that uh, is good to let everybody know. We are excited always when uh, young people get married in our church, and when we see two young people uh, join together, that's an exciting thing. And we are delighted for uh, Lucas and Haley and their decision to get married. And uh, their plans are uh, moving ahead for February. Their planning, though, includes a place that is not capable of holding all her family, our family, and friends and church members so they could not throw the doors open to include everyone at their wedding ceremony. Okay? When they have a family reunion in the Johnson family, they, they usually run about 500 people. I'm not exaggerating. Um, if they open up the prison and let my family out, uh, another couple of hundred. But seriously, uh, there are not many uh, places and venues where all of that can take place. So because they value every family and every person who's a part of HBT, they would like to hold second reception in the form of a dinner on Sunday, February 27th, when everyone will be personally invited to that. And we look forward to the time that we can welcome them back from their honeymoon and into our assembly as Mr. and Misery's uh, Lucas Coffee. So we will, you will receive information personally about that reception and it'll be an HBT event, and we'll have it after the morning service on Sunday, uh, the end of February when they come back, and uh, it'll be an opportunity. They're going to set it up like they did at the wedding reception, and 
you know, we, uh, we look forward to that and, and uh, welcoming them back into the assembly and being able to sit together. And, uh, we, but we appreciate them and their um, concern. And, and uh, we talked about this last night, and I thought it would be nice just to say that formally. Well, let's jump into the Word tonight, and I want to, again, reiterate this fact that um, this is an important service for me, partly because I'm here. I'm not somewhere else. Um, I really spent a lot of time in prayer on Sunday and Monday and uh, just deciding about whether I would go to to Africa or not. Travel dilemmas are, are truly dilemmas, but I've seen just about all of them that you can go through. That's not what what's, what stopped me. That's not what held me back. But at the end of the day, I, about 4 o'clock, I told Sister Becky, I said, it's, it's become pretty clear to me that uh, I think I should not go. There are three factors that dictate whether I go or not. I think I may have told you this before, but there are three factors. This is the way that I do it. Three things had to be clear for me before I leave to go anywhere. If I miss a service here, if I'm away, there's three things that have to, have to kick in. Number one, everything has to be good in the family and at home. Everything has to be clear there, that there's no catastrophes or nothing pending. Everything has to be clear at home. Secondly, everything has to be clear in the church, that there's nothing, no catastrophes looming, that there's nothing pending that needs to be dealt with. That's the second thing. And if, thing, if there's unrest, if there's things that are not right here, then I'm not going to go at all. Thirdly, the way has to be clear. And by that I mean uh, there's a clear and definite purpose for the mission, where I'm going and what I'm going to do, and the way to that uh, mission is clear. In other words, there's, uh, you know, it's a, a path that works together. On this, on the planning for this trip, and I, I look at, uh, you know, I try to be sensitive to a lot of things. I, I realized that as we moved into the time closer to the trip, uh, there was a lot of variables. And the variables now uh, are in place where they now have decided to test people coming back into the country. Even if you've been tested before you got on the plane, you had to be tested back in the country. And there's other new regulations that are coming in place here. So... I did not want to risk the possibility of either being denied entry or to have contracted something that would have prevented me from coming back. In a worst-case scenario, it would have put me back here on December 20th, and that wouldn't be good. So to me, the way was not clear. The mission over there was clear, but the way was not clear. So uh, that was, that was a, uh, a, a box that I couldn't check. Then the second thing, the second thing, was the church. Things are fine at home. But the second thing was a church, and I couldn't put a check mark in the box there. And so I believe that God allowed the whole grounding uh, for a purpose. I read this this morning, and I, I got up early. I've been here for a couple of days, but I uh, got up early this morning, and I was looking at this statement here. And Brother Branham talks about the very familiar story that you're, you know uh, that is where he is flying from Texas back to Indiana, and the weather forces him to go down to Memphis. And when he's there, he's put up in the Peabody Hotel, and they told him, they said, next, uh, next morning about 10, 
uh, were going to be taken off uh, on the plane. So he said, I had, uh, and, and I didn't know this, but he said, when I was at the meeting, he said, people come along if they can't talk to me, and they stuff letters in my pockets. And so he said, when I got to the hotel, I took out all these letters, and he said, I began to write back to some of them. I've seen Brother Branham's letters that he wrote back to people. Very often he would take the envelope that people wrote on, turn it over on the back, and write the answer there. Sometimes he didn't even write the answer on the back. He wrote it on the front where the address was and wrote return to sender and just put it back in the box. And he had so many letters and things stuffed in his pockets that he wanted to deal with that. And uh, he said, I was, took the envelopes and I was walking down the street going to the post office. The rest of the story then unfolds in a way that you're familiar with, right? A voice says to him, keep going, keep going. I'm in control, keep going. So he walks down and he, he doesn't know where he's going because he's got a, an appointment to get on the plane, right? And uh, he walks down and he, he said, I stopped and this policeman started to look at me, look at me funny because he was ling- lingering or loitering. And he says that I went and looked in the shop window and there were fishing reels in there. And he said, I looked at that. And, you know, he said, then I, I just, the only thing I knew to do, he said, was just keep walking. And the voice comforted him and assured him that he needed to keep walking. And then he runs into the old colored sister and uh, she, she said, well, morning, Parson, you know, she's waiting for, for her, Elijah. And, and then he goes and prays for the boy. He said, talk about sovereign grace. He said, the faith of that ignorant colored woman grounded that plane and held it there. So there are times when there are needs that he didn't even know about, right? He's not aware of the need that's there, but there's a faith, there's a, a need, there's a situation that's going on that requires him to be there. And he doesn't always really understand, you know, the, he, this is not expected. This is not in the schedule. It's unscheduled. But he's grounded there for a purpose. He said, my, when I think of those things and the many I've seen, I think... Many situations like that, how rich, how pure, how fathomless and strong the love of God is for a poor, insignificant peasant, ignorant, colored woman like that, but her prayers grounded that plane and held it there and sent me down to pray for that boy. So I believe that he was grounded for a purpose. I believe I was grounded for a purpose as well. I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Let's go to the book of Esther, if you will. Let's take our reading and thoroughly look at it. Every man loves the better woman. Any kind of resolution needs to take place in a certain kind of an atmosphere. Resolution and restitution take place when not one, but both parties are willing to work at some kind of resolution. And you know what? We don't always get the choice to be involved in something because we're right. You know, we, we, you know there's been uh, maybe injustices or something unfair or something uh, said that was not right. But when there's a willingness in the hearts of both sides to reconcile, God can do something. And that's what's really, really important. That's what's really necessary in order for there to be res, res, uh, sorry, resolution. In families, this is really important. This is uh, not always an easy thing to accomplish, but it is really important. And as Paul writes here in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, 
And my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. How many of, how many of you believe that he's a perfect father? So therefore, chastening is not something that God does because he has an attitude. God forbid I'd even say something like that. But he corrects us always with an objective in mind. He's always trying to make you a better you. He's always trying to build character and forge character in us. And, and you know, talking about character is different than having f- character forged in you. When something is forged in you, it's, it's etched there and it remains in a permanent state. And so, therefore, God is trying to etch real character in us. And in that process, God puts us through things that if we were just looking at it, humanly speaking, you could easily faint or feel like quitting or walking away. Throw your hands up in resignation or seethe in your anger. And sometimes people think, well, it's unfair. It's unfair what I have to go through. It's unfair what happens to me. It's unfair what happens to my family. And there are times when we feel literally like what Paul is talking about. That's why the warning is there. Don't faint. Don't, don't despise it not. Imagine, if, if we know that God is dealing with us, the worst thing you could do is despise the fact that God's dealing with you. I will assure you something. God does not deal with you unless he loves you. And when God loves you, he knows exactly how to deal with us. He always knows what's best and what's right. He knows how to fix the things that are wrong. And if you endure chastening, and that's the, that's the challenge, it, it's, it's not that God expects you to get everything right all the time, but he wants you to endure. He wants you to throw yourself at his mercy, and Lord, give me the, give me the ability to endure. Give me, the, give me the stuff I need to endure what's going on here. Then he says, God dealeth with you as sons. That's part of the family. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? There is a right way and a wrong way to, be, to chasten and to be chastened. And, and so Paul is giving us some very practical, applicable information here. But I will guarantee you that every one of us, if you're breathing and you're older than one, you, you probably know what chastening of some sort is. And that chastening doesn't end because you somehow have seniority. I've been in the church 10 years or 15 years or 50 years. It doesn't matter. God, God knows exactly what needs to go. God knows exactly what needs to rebuke. And he's not afraid to do it. I'll guarantee you this. One thing about sons and daughters of God, they can take it. Not really sure how you, how you teach that, but they can take it because there's something in them that cannot disbelieve. And so they're there. They're there for the long haul. They're there for the long run. And we're not talking about the wrong kind of chastisement. We're not talking about the wrong kind of, uh, you know, uh, dealing here. We're talking about how when God puts his finger on something and corrects an issue that needs to be corrected. When God decides, that's it. I was recently in a building that had my curiosity. I told Peter about it. and It was an old uh, barn-like building that's in our little community of Reiner. And a uh, lovely old uh, building, and uh, we'd driven by it for years, and I ran into the guy who owned it uh, a couple of years back and chatted with him. He was selling his property, and that barn was on it. It's right, right on the side of the road. And um, one day, uh, just recently, I, I, I drove by, and the doors were open, and he was in there. I, I caught a glimpse of him, and I dropped my wife off and went back, and, and I walked in, and I said, Hey, Greg. I said, you may not remember. He said, I remember you. You're the missionary, aren't you? 
And I said, well, I'm a pastor first, but I said, uh, I do travel. And he's, I said, your memory's pretty good. And uh, he, he said, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to retire. He's 70 years old. He's a contractor, and he had it all full of junk and all kinds of stuff, debris in there. And I said, uh, years ago you were selling this building. I said, are you still selling it? And I was just curious, I just, you know, because I wanted to see inside. I was just curious about what, it, what, it was, what was going on in there. And uh, he said, yeah. He said, I'm, we're thinking about uh, retiring. I said, do you mind if I take a look? And so I you know, went, went upstairs, beautiful old oak beams and chestnut beams. The building is registered at 100 years old. Beautiful uh, building. And I, I, I remarked, I took a picture of uh, a set of mortise and tenon joints on, on this, these, uh, like they were about 10-inch, 10 by 10 beams that came across, the main beam in the building came across. And uh, you, when I looked at it, you couldn't take a sheet of paper and fit it between the two joints after 100 years. And I thought, phew, do you know my son Peter? You know, it's the kind of stuff he does. And I said that, you know, I, and I took a close-up of that join in the middle of the building, and I thought, wow, that, that's, that's incredible. And uh, he said, ah, but it wasn't always like that. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when we, when we bought the building, he said, 30-something, 30 36 years ago, he said, we had leaks on the roof. We had a uh, sagging ceiling in the second floor. He said, the, the, thing, the whole room here, the main room, was, be, was uh, bowed down in the ceiling. And he said, it looked terrible. He said, we thought we were going to have to condemn the building. And he said, but then I went downstairs, and there's a little lower place, and then there's a little crawl space. And he said, I went underneath there, and when I did, that main beam that was holding up the center of the house, he said, from about a foot from the ground, it had gotten into water. There was water leaked in and got in there, and it was like putty on the lower foot, so it couldn't bear any weight. And he said, you could put your thumb right through the, the wood itself. And he said, then I... Uh, looked at that, and he said, I went and got my crew, and he said, we got some uh, train jacks. And he said, we put some blocks underneath the building there in the center, and he said, we actually cranked that building up. He said, a couple of inches enough to get that beam off the ground, cut off the bottom foot and a half, replaced it with a new piece of oak in there, and he said, and then uh, made, made, uh, you know, made it uh, exactly the same size as what it was before, and he said, we unscrewed the jack. He said the beautiful thing was, he said, when we repaired that foundation, when we repaired that piece underneath in the center of the building, he said the building knew what to do. It just went right back like this, and everything found its place. And he said since then, 36 years ago, he said we've never had a leak. We've never done another repair to this building. We've never fixed a thing. He said, we've never had to think about the beams or anything else. He said, the doors are square, the windows go up and down, 100-year-old building. And he said, it all rested on that one pillar. And he said, we watched it. It just went like this, boom, back in place, perfect. And he said, it hasn't budged one inch. I thought about that a lot. I thought about that scenario and how that you can have such a great structure and you can have it made well. Sometimes just one thing gets amiss. Sometimes it's an experience in your family. Sometimes it's something that creeps into the church. But leave it alone for a while and it'll rot. Now all of a sudden you've got problems. And you've got problems that don't even seem to be connected to that original issue. We can holler all we want at symptoms of problems. 
But you've got to look deep sometimes. You've got to pray. And you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit to find out where the real problem is. And when you find it, then you've got to know what to do. You've got to deal with that correctly. He knew exactly what to do and cranked that building. The whole building back up rested on that thing, went in place. They took their jack out and they walked away. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit knows where to put the jack. The Holy Spirit knows what needs replacing in your life. The Holy Spirit knows how to adjust. And by adjusting the right thing, many things can be fixed. Sometimes in the church you can fix one thing and many things get fixed. And sometimes that can be an attitude of repentance. You can fix that. Sometimes it can be a, uh, you know, a wrong spirit, some, whatever it is. And you can fix that one thing. If you know what it is that you're after, you can fix that one thing. And you watch many things are affected by that repair. That's what this is about. That's what Paul is telling us, that don't forget how God, God corrects. It's not to make you feel bad. It's not to condemn you. It is because he loves you. Now, let me say this about, uh, and, and I take this personal. And now, Brother Branham said in the contest, the enemy is going to study our strategy. He was talking to his church on New Year's Eve, watch night service. He said that Satan's going to study our strategy with the word. Satan studied all that out so perfectly till when he came to Eve, he had the best strategy he could use upon her, and that was to reason with the word. So if, if strategy means a plan of action designed to achieve an overall aim, Satan did come, didn't come, at, uh, come in and wander into the Garden of Eden with a whole bunch of different things. He came in with one thing that he figured was the best thing that he could strike at to weaken this situation, this family. This family of God that was put in the Garden of Eden, right? And I believe that in every church, I believe that they have a strategy when it comes to every message church. They should have a strategy in terms of how we deal with the Word, right? You want me to go over our strategy? To me, my strategy is to Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Say it when the people want to hear it and say it when they don't. We talk about everything that's on the table. We, we believe we have a full course meal. So we're not just talking about some particular doctrine here. We're, well, I like to talk about everything. I like to talk about everything from, uh, you know, what happened in the Garden of Eden all the way to the change of our body. New heavens and new earth. I like to talk about everything in between. How God, how God loves certain things, how God hates certain things, how God reacts to certain things. Stupid things that, his, that people have done over the years and what we can learn from that, sorry. But what can, we can learn from uh, you know, the character of people and the response of God. Because the response of God to me is a great educator. The response of God teaches us many things. And our response is that, our strategy, sorry, is uh, and our overall aim, if, if that's what the definition is, a plan of action, to me... Uh, rapturing faith lays in the message. Rapturing faith just, just doesn't lay in HBT. It lays in the message. And so therefore, if we're going to get out of here, all the body of Christ has to be together all on the same page. Isn't that right? So, hey, let's print pages and put them out. That's one of our strategies. That's an important strategy, but it's not the only one. So we believe in the fivefold ministry here. We're not tape players. You can listen to tapes at home or in your car. I, nothing wrong with tape. I encourage listening to tapes. I think it's a good thing. But it doesn't replace the fivefold ministry. It does not. It will not. It never will. And our strategy is one that we have a living ministry, a living congregation. Everybody who's living, okay, 
And our strategy is to stay with the word. No matter what happens, we stay with the word. And none of us are exempt from the uh, boundaries of the word. We, none of us have a right to live outside of them. None of us have a right to take the word and interpret it our own way. None of us can feel like we're above the law. Me too. Because that's, that's what the word teaches us. So we hold very closely to the Bible. We hold very closely to the message of the hour because we believe it is our absolute. We believe it is true. If it is true, it is worth believing. If it's true, it's worth preaching. If it's true, it's worth disseminating all over the world. Naturally, then Satan would like to attack that, but he's got to study what we do first. And if he can't trip us up on doctrine, he'll study another way. If he can't trip us up on adultery or something in the church, he'll go another way, go another route. And sometimes Satan's best strategy is to attack the vulnerable. The vulnerable, and we understand a little bit more about vulnerability after the last year and a half. We had this crazy virus, and it separated people. And then in a church like ours, and we are not unique, but there are many, many churches that tell me and in conversations with ministers that friendships, relationships, activities all got juggled around and shuffled. And in a sense that, let me say it this way, things are probably never go back to normal. What we used to know is normal. Never. And I would agree with that. Not that you can't have it good again, but I will tell you that in that period of vulnerability, Satan is quick to act. And I think he did. But I will tell you this, that God is always interested in us making the right response to wrong things happening in our, in our homes, in our churches, in our own spiritual lives. God is always interested in that. So when something goes wrong, God has something already in place. God's not saying, oh, what do I do now? God doesn't say that. He's got an ordained way of doing things. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 8, I've read this and attached this scripture to the core of what we've talked about in Shalom in the home, that God said to the children of Israel, these are the things that ye shall do. Verse 16, speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor and execute or govern the judgment of truth and grace and peace in your house. So within your gates, this is what I want you men to do is execute the judgment of, of truth and peace in your gates. I want you men to stand up at the, at the, in the position that men should stand up in. And this is not a place for women. This is a place for a man to stand up and to execute judgment and peace in his household. The Bible also says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when Nathaniel came to David, he said, Be strong and quit yourselves like men. Now, this is not a, an English construction for us. This is not how we would talk. This is not how we would say this. But the Hebrew word for quit means literally bring about. I want you to bring about something here. And let's put it in the, in the context here. He says, be strong and bring about manhood or demonstrate manhood. Become men. Oh, ye Philistines, that ye be, uh, uh, this is the, actually the Philistines who are talking to the leader of the Philistines. Oh, ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Hey, grow up. We're, we're on the battlefield. We are warriors. Let's act like warriors. Let's get out there and fight. 
Because remember when the ark, the Israel went and got the ark and they brought it out and said, hey, uh, we're losing the battle, so go get the ark. You know, the token, the amulet, remember? The good luck charm, bring it out on the battlefield and we're bound to win because God's not going to let the ark falter, right? Remember I, I talked about this before. So the Philistine leader got there and said, hey, quit you like men. Hey, let's act like men. Bring about manhood. Let's be real soldiers here. And you know what? If we die, we die for a noble cause. That's in their view. They're fighting against Israel, so it's wrong in the first place. But his, his talk to them was, grow up, be like men, because you know what? Uh, what are you going to do? Call your wives and have them come out and fight? Be men. And that was the call to manhood, if you like. You find many other examples here in the Old Testament. We come into the New Testament, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, and quit ye like men, be strong. He says exactly the same thing to believers who are standing in the faith. I hope I'm speaking to men here who are standing in faith. We need to teach our young men to quit, quit ye, and be men. In this context, we need to have them, don't quit when there's a struggle. Don't quit when there's an argument. Don't walk away from your wife when there's a struggle here. You need to, instead of tune out, you men of faith, let's, let's embrace the struggle because you know what? God's put you on the battlefield and maybe you're there for a reason. So therefore, act like a man. Grow up. In the church, act like a man. And you know what? If there's, if there's wrong, let's identify it. If there's something we can correct in our household, hey, Brother Bram said to the deacons in his church, you'll find it in church order, he said, he said, you know what, if the kids are cutting up in the church, he said, we take them outside and deal with them. And he said, and that goes for mine too. Because it's not a good thing, but it's a natural thing, but it's not a good thing when parents will defend their kids even when their kids are not right. Hey, listen, I know I, I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night, and I know to keep my head out of a bear trap, so I, I'm not going there. But I will tell you, that I mean, that's a part of human nature that, especially mothers, they'll get in there and defend their kids to the hilt. And their kids can be flat wrong. But they can develop very quickly, develop a victim mentality because, you know, talking about my kids. How about those kids? And I don't want to go there. But I'm saying this, that in a household, God's already got somebody there on the battlefield who really should stand up and say, hey, but you know what, honey? There's some truth in what's being said here. And our kids are not lily white. So, you know what? We've got to call this like it is because it's better to be honest. First of Esther. Take your Bible. I hope you got your Bible. Let's read. You know the story. We've read the first part here where the king calls for Vashti. She doesn't come. But I want you to look at the response here to this. That's what's really interesting. Verse 15, what shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law because she had not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? What's the, what's the offense? The offense is a lack of performance. She's got a position, she's got a role, and she doesn't perform it, she doesn't do it. How many believe that in the book of Esther, Ahasuerus represents God? And he's looking at, just like, remember Jesus gives the parable and says, I gave everybody talents and they went out and, and, you know, five had this talents and he invested it and brought back five more. Remember that? That's performance. And one had one talent, buried it in the ground. He said, hey, I, I was afraid and I didn't want to get in trouble here, so I just buried it because I was afraid. And he, was, he strangled himself by fear and he didn't do anything at all. So the master... The master in that parable said, hey, take that one from him, give it to one of the other ones here who's got five, and we're going to cast this guy out. You know why? Because there was no performance. Your performance matters. Whether you're Vashti 
or whether you're a deacon or whether you're a whatever, your performance at the commandment of God matters. In 16, and Memucam answered before the king and, and the princess and said, Vashti, the queen, hath done wrong. Watch. Vashti has done wrong not to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in the provinces of, of the king Ahasuerus. She has wronged every man. Her, look at it this way. The whole building is sagging because there's a problem in one place. There's all kinds of issues here because of the beam in one place. Huh. And so she has wronged every man. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all the women so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. You know what that's going to spark? You know, what, you know what's going to come of that seed being sown? If we do not act, if we do not do the right thing here, the message goes out that this queen can say whatever she wants to to the king, I'll do what I want. I'm having my own party over here. Read the previous part of the chapter. I'm having my own party over here. I don't need to come to the king's party. You know, he called me. So what? I'm the queen. And she's, I mean, she's a beautiful person. She's in the, she's got this huge estate and this position. And she basically says, you know what? I really don't care that he called me. I'm doing my own thing. And he says, if we don't deal with this correctly, that's going to send the message when it shall be reported that she disregarded the king. And the important word here is the word despise, which literally means she regarded him with contempt. And all the women will regard their husbands with contempt. This deed of the queen is capable of changing everything. Do you hear me? This deed of the queen is serious. Now, think spiritual for a minute. Let's say if the bride had an attitude, or you as a member of the church had an attitude that, uh, you know, a commandment is given or, you know, basic stuff is given, and this person says, I don't have to do that. 18. Likewise, all the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen, Queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. Contempt, the word contempt is mentioned three times in this chapter. It is a really strong word. We don't have really a whole lot of time to get into and deal with it, but it is a really strong word and one that really needs to be considered. Glance at the board for a minute. Don't take your finger off where you're reading. Contempt literally means the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. You are beneath my level of of interest. You are beneath my priorities here, buddy. And I really don't care about your feelings. I don't care about what you're going through. I don't care if we exclude you. I don't care if you're left out. It's a disregard for something that should be taken into account. Isn't it true that we are all members one of another? And we should take each other into account. 
It is the offense of being disobedient or disrespectful of a court of law and its officers. So, therefore, if, uh, you know, a judge, he'll slap somebody with a fine because they're in contempt. In other words, the judge is striking at an attitude that says, you're sitting there disregarding what it is that uh, is going on here and complete disrespect to to the court. Can't do that. Can't do that in the court. Let me tell you, if you can't do it in a natural court, you can't do it in the court of God's presence. You cannot. If it please the king, 19, watch, let there go a royal commandment. Let's, let's summarize it. Let's write it down. Let's send it out, okay? Let's do this, is what they said. And let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Take Take, take the estate of the fallen woman and give it to a better woman. Find me a better woman. And let's have a decree that says that she no longer will enjoy the presence of the king. There is, listen, there is no worse banishment than banishment from the presence of the king. That doesn't mean that you can't be in church. It doesn't mean that you can't sit in church. It doesn't mean that you can't sing the songs and have the right haircut and all the other dress codes and all the other things that go on, be in all the right groups, go to all the right camps. You can have all of that, but you can be outside the presence of the king. You can be sitting there and feel flat as a pancake and think, well, nothing happens in this church. And you know what? You can do something that grieves away the presence of God. I will say this, that you can do something, and uh, I'm not talking about losing your salvation because... That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? If you've got eternal life, you've got eternal life. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Your actions and your conduct can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so the, the judgment here that they recommended to the king, this is not the king, this is a recommendation to the king, that let's, let's write this down so it isn't altered at all, but that she should come no more before the king. She does not enjoy the king's presence. She does not speak lip to ear to the king. She does not associate intimately with the king. That's over. Wow. Not really many things that are worse here. And when the king's decree, when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all the empire, for it is great, and it stretched from the, in, uh, from the uh, Ganges River in India all the way to Morocco. We're talking a huge swath of land. It is absolutely enormous, about 12,000 miles. I know that because I drove it. And when this, when this decree shall be made in the kingdom, all, watch, all the wives shall give to their husband's honor, both great and small. This affects all wives and all husbands and all houses. And if we're going to have shalom in any home, we're going to have to have it here starting here. And then it's decreed, written down, and sent out to everybody so everybody understands. Because this affects everyone, both great and small. And the same pleased the king and the princess, and the king did according to the word of Memochan. And he sent letters unto all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule. Hey, this is about Vashti not showing up at the party. But you understand, when you, when you take the center beam of a structure and that sags, it affects everything. So you know what we're going to do? 
We're going to say that every man should bear rule in his own house and that it should be published according to the language of every people. I I, I spent a lot of time today going back over versions of the Bible. And I I have lots and lots of versions of lots and lots of Bibles. I collect them and I, I, I just I love to read them. I went back to 1599 to the Geneva Bible. Basically, all of these versions say the same thing, but let's look at this one. For he sent letters unto the provinces of the king, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that he should publish it in the language of that same people. So in other words, if a man is married to a woman who speaks a foreign language, make sure it's translated so she gets it in her language too. We're not just going to send this out in the language of King Ahasuerus. We're going to make sure that everyone of every stripe of every language gets it. In other words, let's say this. If the Word of God is preached, it should be preached in such a way that everybody in this church gets it, whether you're young and your feet are not touching the floor or whether you're old or anywhere in between. Let's make sure everybody understands it. And that's what he's saying because this is the essence of the decree of the king here that every, every people after their language should understand that every man should bear rule in his own house. Because if we let the wrong thing get going, if we let the wrong thing start, it's going to affect everything here, and there's going to be too much contempt. Contempt really is divorce in diapers. You let, you let contempt go on in a household, in a marriage... You let contempt roll on. You know what you're going to have at the end of the day? You're not going to have a very good situation. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty negative thing. Now, he says, and they should publish it in the language of that same people. That is, that the wife should be subject to the husband and that his commandment. You know me well enough to know that I'm not going to say, all right, you know, I'm Tarzan and Sister Becky's Jane and I, she's got a... She's got to bow and scrape and all the rest of it. That's not the meaning of the scripture at all. That's not the intent. But every man loves the better woman. Every man loves when everyone in that household finds their place. And the king is articulating this. He's articulating this whole idea. Now, all right, you say, well, that's Old Testament Paul reaches back and says this, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. He takes that right into the New Testament relationship between the New Testament church and Christ, but he also applies it to the family and the household as well. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Nevertheless, let every one of you, at the end of the chapter, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, this is everybody now, and we're going to make sure it gets published in every language here, that every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. We kind of have the same, if you, without going into the Greek and all the different language things here, we have the same kind of uh, thought process, I think you, you would agree, same kind of approach here that, you know, this is exactly what uh, Paul is utilizing here in terms of the Old Testament principle here. Because once we get the situation out of whack, you have contempt. You have a young people's group that's out of whack. You get contempt. And the contempt can be shown towards one another. Or contempt can be shown to authority. Whatever. But this is, this is the boundary that God wants us to put in place. because Not because he's trying to restrict us, but because he loves us. 
And when you find yourself in your attitude or in your conduct or in your actions outside of the boundary that God has laid down, you know what you should do as a Christian? Let me tell you. What you should do as a Christian is repent and get back inside the boundaries just as fast as you can. And on your way back, you should be saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there be in me any wicked way. Cleanse me. Know my heart today. We find this same problem when Nathaniel came to David and said, Wherefore hast thou, David, despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Here's the word contempt again. Why did you hold God's word in contempt? That woman was a married woman. And you stepped over that word, the commandment of the Lord. Verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. We find this, I mean, there's lots of, unfortunately, there's lots of places. And when the Philistine, uh, Goliath, looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Who is this? He's way below my level. He's way below my, my goodness, why are they sending this runt out here? And look at this. I mean, he disdained him. He looked at him with contempt. He had no idea that David had five God rocks in his pocket. But He's, he's looking at him with contempt. And you can, you can see the, you know, where this would fit in, right? I, and and this, is, this would be natural here that a, a sol- professional soldier who's 10 feet tall would react like this to a guy who's half his height and probably not shaving yet. And here he is out on the field attempting to you know, pretend like he's going to take on Goliath. And you can see where this contempt would be. What a disaster it is if a husband and wife show contempt to one another. What a disaster it is if there's contempt within the church. What a disaster it is when teenagers will get in the face of their parents and speak to them with contempt. You, you, just, you just need to know, I'm telling you tonight, that God looks at that and God sees that. And he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that God will not despise our prayers no matter how simple they are. Now, you people that are listening to this tape, you women, you men, listen a minute. If you ever believe me, you believe it now. It's time to quit fussing with one another and believe the message of the Bible. You know who that's for? Me. You know who else that's for? Go ahead and say it. Because we're the people who believe him. If you believe him, this is for you. It's for all of our young people. Time to quit fussing. Sometimes all it takes is a, hey, I forgive you. Put arms around one another and move on. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than a little bit more discussion. But you know, the next line to me is important. We either believe the message or we don't. And you know what? If you believe it, there's going to be a performance. You cannot forgive just in your mind. If you forgive in your mind, you go through the mental process of forgiving somebody, but there's no fruit meet for repentance, you really haven't forgiven. You've thought about it, but you haven't forgiven. Got a lot of dance orchestra people, Brother Branham said. In 1954, some boy in a dance orchestra over here last night, tonight, 
playing in the church of the living God, it's an abomination in the sight of God. Let that man be proved first and let him bring forth fruits meet for repentance to show he's right with God. It isn't enough that somebody says that they're a Christian. But let's see the changed life. Let's see, let's see them bring forth fruits meet for repentance because that's what Jesus taught in Matthew 3. Say it, Matthew 3, early, in, early on in the game. That's what we call a basic thing. Go back to this quote here. Believe Jesus Christ and love and honor and respect one another. Men respect your wives. You respect your homes. And bring your home together. Because remember, the lamb was for the home, not just one. For the whole home, too, had to be brought. Everything had to be brought in. You should love each other. And believers should separate themselves from the world. All right, take it and... Blow into it, make it a little bit bigger, and let's say it this way. Let me rephrase it, all right? Men respect your wives. You respect your homes. You respect your church. And bring your, bring your church together because, remember, the lamb was for everybody, not just one. The whole church. Say it in such a way, do it in such a way that everybody understands, no matter what language they speak. That was, that was what King Ahasuerus wanted done, that everybody would understand very clearly. And this is not something to uh, really mess up in terms of understanding. It's pretty, pretty straightforward that we should quit fussing with one another and we should love one another. And we should do that. But Satan, Satan will offer something else. And Satan is quick to sow seeds and find fallow ground. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm running out of time. You all have a purple sheet. And I made it purple on purpose so that you wouldn't miss it. So when you stick it in your Bible, you'll always see the purple sheet. We're not going to be able to read the whole purple sheet, but I want you to take it home and I want you to look at it. It's by A.W. Towser, who is a minister, man of God from years ago. The thought process is exceptional. The lesson is exceptional. Let me paraphrase a little bit for you. And we won't read it. We won't read it all, but just to paraphrase. He said, when God made man, he designed him to live in a garden. But he said, because of sin, man was forced into a field. And he was told to cultivate the field with, with sweat, tears, blood, do whatever you can, but subdue the earth, right? That's what he had to do. Because the bias of nature is that when you don't cultivate the field, when you don't tend to the landscape, the bias of nature is going to cover it back over with weeds, the bad stuff, right? The bias of nature does not keep the garden well cultivated. The bias of nature will, hey, you, have, you can have the nicest yard, you know, nicest lawn, you can have the nicest grounds, leave it alone for a couple of years and come on back and see how it looks. It didn't improve. It didn't get any better. It was overtaken with wheat. And, and he says every farmer knows that. So a farmer has to work consistently and continually in order to uh, look after his uh, field and make sure that it's, uh, make sure that it's, it's continually, continu listen, continually clear to the weeds. One, two, three, four paragraphs. The moral bent of the fallen world is not toward godliness. The moral bent of the fallen world is not toward godliness, but definitely away from it. 
Is this world, vile world to, a friend to grace? Asked the poet rhetorically, to help me on to God. The sad answer is no. And it would be well for us to see that each new Christian learn this lesson as soon as possible after his conversion. We sometimes leave the impression that it's possible to find at an altar of prayer, once and for all, purity of heart, power to assure victorious living for the rest of our days, how wrong this notion is and has been proved by countless numbers of Christians. Meaning, when a new convert comes in and has this, you know, this experience with God and a meeting with God and how wonderful it is and he feels pure and clean and white and rosy and lily and everything is, everything is beautiful in its own way. You leave that garden alone, you know what? The tendency of nature is to fill it back up with weeds. And the thing that you have to do is to cultivate that garden. You have to continually clean that garden out. You have to go through that process of sanctification where God weeds out all those things and the Holy Spirit reminds you of things that are not there, attitudes that are not there, that are not supposed to be there. And you're constantly doing that, and you're doing that through prayer. The next paragraph, just very briefly. The truth is that no spiritual experience, however revolutionary, no matter how great your experience is, no matter how dramatic it was, can exempt us from temptation. And what is temptation but the effort of the wilderness to encroach upon our own cleared field? The purified heart is obnoxious to the devil and to all the forces of the lost world. They will not rest until they have won back what they have lost. A cleared field and a beautiful landscape and a heart, young person's heart, is obnoxious to the devil. And he'll do whatever he can to poison that. He'll do whatever he can to mar that. And I say this. I believe among us and among our young people, we need a breakthrough. You may not have thought about that. I've walked away from services here the last couple of weeks. and I re- Sorry, I realize we're streaming here and so forth. But let me just say this, that I've walked away and realized, man, you know what? The message should ignite our hearts. The message should. I, I'm not. I'm not every man's preacher. I understand that. But truth is truth, and I think that the message should ignite our hearts. It should not be a struggle for us to come in here or dread to come in here and try to stay awake. And then, you know, the biggest choice of the day is what restaurant we're going to go to. I think it doesn't hurt for us to pray for a breakthrough. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. I would like to meet here Friday night, 7 o'clock, whoever can come. And we just have a simple prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. Specifically, we pray for no preaching. We're not going to do a Bible study. We're not going to do testimonies. But I'd like, I'd like to come together and pray. I'll be here. If you want to come, you can. I don't want anybody to feel bad because they can't come and it's Friday night. And I realize, you know, it is Friday night where it is in the month of December and all the rest of it. It's fine. I'm just saying this. I think we need to, for me, I just feel this heavily on my heart. I just feel like we need to step out and say, you know what, this garden matters a lot. And I don't, I don't want the wrong thing to creep in. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want it to creep into my life. I don't want it to creep into my church. I don't want it to creep into our young people. I don't want it to creep in among families that, that and, you know, have differences with one another and don't even know what the differences are. We're better than that. We should be living higher than that. But I will tell you what. We should grow up 
and overcome those things and say, Lord, help us to make sure our garden is weeded here. And what is it that needs to be weeded out? Now, I'll give you a piece of advice. We're not coming together to pray that so-and-so changes and this one does that. You've got to stop praying that God will, uh, you know, change his ways. <laughs> it, let me tell you, the whole thing exists because he wants to change you. Amen. You don't have to come, okay? And I, I want to be real clear. I want everybody to understand you don't have to come. I, I'm going to be here at 7. The lights will be on. We'll pray. You can pray at your seat. You can kneel at your seat. You can kneel at the altar. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just have a very simple time of prayer. But I'm praying specifically for this. I'm praying for a breakthrough in our church here that the Holy Spirit will move in a way that allows him the freedom to do whatever he wants to do. That's all. Let's stand to our feet. Everyone, every man loves the better woman. I want to be the best, the best bride I possibly can. You can take all kinds of strategies, you know, all kinds of ideas and theories and everything else, but you know what? I've, over my years, I've learned that the Holy Spirit can do a whole lot in a couple of minutes in someone's heart much more efficiently than what I can do in five hours of conversation. Hmm, I've learned that a long time ago. So let's invite him into the process. Let's just invite him in and say, Lord, we're just, we're just gonna, we're gonna give our lives to you afresh. We're gonna give our church to you. We're gonna give everything to you. And we're just gonna let you take control. And we're gonna let you deal with us according to your mercies. Put it in the key of F. I love you, Lord. I love my voice. Sing it tonight here. I love And I lift my
Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. I think it's St. Peter. Jesus, 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 there's just And my Savior, Jesus, like the free after the before we pray. He's my Jesus, sweet Jesus. There's just something about that name. He's my master. My Savior, King Jesus, like the simple assembly of people just desiring to serve you and Lord we have a very simple strategy but we believe it's of you and Lord we, we know that you see our hearts and, and see our worship Lord but we know we've got an enemy that studies that too and we just want to say that we believe we are more than conquerors through Christ 
who would strengthen us. That, Lord, our desire is to just walk in peace and harmony with you and peace and harmony with one another, arm in arm, until we wind up walking through those gates together. Father, have your way, we pray, among us. Lord, meet with us. Pray that you would deal with hearts, soften hearts, Lord. May you just grant to us real, true leadership. Father, I pray that your spirit would always be welcome here to move in every heart and every soul. Every way we pray, Lord, may we tend to our garden, not to another man's garden, but Lord, may we tend to our garden. And Lord, we'll give you the thanks and praise you deserve. We pray for these special needs today, Lord. We think of Sister Lori Tamlingson and Lord, the, the whole family, and I, I just pray, dear God, that you would just be merciful. Lord, as only you can, you know the situation, Lord. I just pray that you would move in on the scene, Lord, and do the supernatural act that only the great physician can. Father, we have needs among us in our own assembly, and I just commit the people into your hands, Lord. We think of Sister Rachel Pritchard and all the children, Lord, with Cohen, we thank you, Lord, for the progress he's making. And we're mindful, Lord, that we believe that that's you. And, Lord, we think of Brother Jeremy and, and Brother Chris, and we commit them to you now, and Sister Emily and the family. And, Lord, may you just accompany them, and may their time of fellowship be real sweet. In memory of Brother Roger. And, Lord, we pray now that you would dismiss us, not from your presence, but from this place until we meet again on Friday. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. We'll meet on Friday night, just this Friday night, 7. If, if you're able to come late, and come a few, you know, part of the time, certainly fine. We just, just want to spend a little time in prayer. May God bless you tonight as you go. Thank you for coming tonight. Sing it as you go tonight. Jesus, 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 there's just something.